This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talksplode with Sean Murphy. Hey, this is Josh from iFanboy.com, and I am here with uh, with with Sean Murphy. How are you doing hey, tonight? 
Good man, how you doing? Good. We've been we've been chatting for a long time, uh, and and we finally got you on the show. Uh, I've never spoken to you or seen you or anything. This is a whole, whole mysterious thing for me. I know, man. I don't. I I know what you look like with your little picture here, but I could turn on video, but I I'm not gonna do. Oh that. no! Don't do that. No, there's no. no. I'll I'll do I'll do calls for for other work stuff sometimes, and people will put their camera on. I'm like, I don't have mine on. Why am I looking at you? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. Years ago, we all thought we'd be on video screens, like that was the way of the future. But it was beat out by the fact that none of us wanted to put on pants. No, not at all. Yeah. Or or like like my wife will be in the background. Shut that off. I I need to walk by. <laughs> do technology is is taught us what we really don't want <clears throat> so uh you know let's uh let's get started i always get tend to get started with people and and i ask their uh sort of their roots their origin story where they come from i don't think that um i was very familiar with your work until i saw joe the barbarian uh a few yeah. years ago but but you must have been doing stuff before that um yeah. you know how'd you get your start in comics uh, yeah, it was like this, like, where did this guy come from out of nowhere type type thing. Joe really was the thing to put me on the map. Um, but uh, I come from New England. I took a, some private classes from ages uh, 8 to 16 with a, a um, political cartoonist in Salem, New Hampshire named Leslie Swank. It's like a World War II vet, old school all the way. So that kind of old school thing has always been drilled into me, which is why I kind of come down hard on digital anchors and stuff. Um uh, from there, I went to Mass Art for a year. Um, took three years at SCAD in Savannah. Graduated, moved to Hollywood. Tried to get into entertainment. Um, at the time, I was also drawing small stuff for Dark Horse, like Crush or uh, Star Wars, things like that. Doing covers for IDW. Um, and I moved around the country a bunch of times, just managing to skirt by. Um, I did a thing for Land Rover once, and published in the UK. I attempted to do storyboards for Family Guy at one point just to uh, to pay rent. Um, I think my biggest thing up to that date was when I got um, Batman Scarecrow Year One, mm-hmm. which is when um, Batman Begins started coming out. It's kind of a, a money grab, I guess you'd call it. Um, but uh, my friend Zach Howard was offered the gig, and he couldn't take it, so he recommended me. And um, yeah, I did uh, two, let's see, 98 pages with two supersized issues in four months. Pencils, inks. My word. Yeah. So was it always, I mean, were you you into into comics? Was it always your goal to sort of get into drawing comics? Yeah, I was big into image back in the day. And uh, I heard that these guys were making like two grand a page. So I thought, well, that sounds good. Uh, And then I stopped reading comics in 1996 along with everybody else for some reason. (laughs) And uh, I went through school thinking, yeah, I'll still make two grand a page when I graduate. Um and right before graduation, someone actually told me that the industry had crashed and Marvel, I guess, went bankrupt. And uh, people weren't breaking in like they used to. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, well, I better start thinking myself and getting really fast. That way I can make like almost double the rate. You, were you always uh, really aware of, I guess, of the economics of, of the business? Because uh, it's, it's something that I don't think a lot of people think of <clears throat> when they sort of get started you know, with, with comics. It's sort of secondary. And then, then afterwards, I go, Christ, how am I going to make a living doing this? Yeah, no, for me, it's in reverse. Like, I, I treat it like a business first, and I'm not afraid to ask the uncomfortable question. Like, if it's a gig for someone I don't know, I'll ask for a third up front, mm-hmm. which is normal in any other industry. I know comics kind of operates differently sometimes, which maybe it shouldn't be that way. But, um, you know, I've always kind of played by pretty strict rules to try to protect myself. So... But yeah, always always thinking about sort of the bottom line. Not to sound like greedy or anything like that, but um, 
it is like the best insurance that you that you could have is mm-hmm. knowing what your value is and making sure that people know that you know what your value is. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, when you when you guess when you got out of school and started doing all that stuff and you you mm-hmm. started started looking for work and all that stuff, was it a little bit? <laughs> you just not been paying attention to the industry at all, and you're like, wait, what happened? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I didn't even know what a comic book convention was. Uh, I was. was um, my third year at SCAD, my friend Sean Crystal, who's doing Deadpool now for uh, Marvel, took me to a convention with, I mean, Andrew Robinson and him and Chris Bruner and Rico Renzi and a couple other guys who are huge now. And I had no idea who they were at the time. I was just on a, a road trip, basically. And uh, he showed me Megacon in Florida, and I had no idea that this thing, that these things existed at all, you know, but... You know, immediately you start to see the angles and go, oh, I can meet editors here and show my stuff and come back next year and travel. And, you know, we're lucky in comics to have that sort of face time, you know. Mm-hmm. When you uh, when you first started getting work, I mean, like, what was the kind of stuff that you wanted to do? I mean, I, I know that you would said that you'd like the image and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm you know, talking, early, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, you know, the, the indie scene is a little bit different. I mean, were you, were you into doing superheroes? Did you want to do other genre stuff? Yeah, I, you know, I I thought I wanted to do superheroes because those are the books that people wanted to do. They paid the best. They were highest profile. So I assumed that that's what I would try to get into. It wasn't until, you know, maybe the last few years where I really started to go, I don't really read superhero books. I don't think these books are for me. It started to really define the things that I wanted to go after instead of just like waiting around for a DCU gig, you know. But at the same time, I mean, you, you'd, you'd sort of, I guess you'd sort of gotten your foot in it at DC, and so that was probably sort of uh, looming, I guess, in the in the distance or in the background. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first couple of things I did for them actually didn't, well, I got the, the Batman um, Scarecrow Year One thing, of course, went through, but I did the Teen Titans thing a few years after that, and that was almost never going to come out just because a couple problems they had with how I drew... Um, Cyborg mm-hmm. and uh, my overall style, they just didn't think it was the house style. So, you know, I ran into a lot of resistance there. Um, and after hearing from editors over and over, you know, draw this style, draw like that, be cleaner, I finally realized I just, I'm not these guys, you know. And I just, when I started to embrace it and really allow myself to be different, is when I started uh, Hellblazer, which is sort of the big first thing I did where I had, you know, the stuff that people know me now more, the style that people recognize me for today, you know. Were you were you uh, were you doing other kinds of styles? Yeah, I was trying to match the house style just to get work, and I really tried with uh, Teen Titans to match the house style. And um, I was up for a book called uh, Greendale uh, with uh, Neil Young. It was a Vertigo book, yeah. and um, I kept doing um, samples and I kept hearing back, you know, get cleaner, draw like Cliff Chang, get cleaner, <laughs> get cleaner. And I've talked with this about Cliff, so you know. Uh, this is all totally cool to speak about, <laughs> but uh, I finally just yelled at Karen. I'm like, "Don't go fucking hire Cliff Chang. Go hire me. I'm not a machine." I gave her that whole thing, and she did, and, and she did, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the last the couple pages I did, she's trying to prep me. She's like, "All right, I'm gonna take this to Neil Young. He really wants it clean. So really, really try to give it your like clean, clean effort." So I'm like, "All right, all right, I'm gonna do it." And I went back to the drawing board. And I'm looking down, and I this was like the moment where I finally was like, "I'm not." Cliff Chang, I'm not clean. Like, fuck it. I'm going to do this book my way and I'm going to get fired and I'm going to be fine with that because I'm, I'm tired of trying to meet this sort of house style standard and not getting anywhere with it, you know? 
So I started to think, you know, maybe it's better to be like Sam Keith, where no one draws like you, which is good. So if you want that style, there's only one way to go. Mm-hmm. Sam Keith, you know, Mike Mignola, you know, Miller, all those guys. So it's probably uh, more of a risk to go that route with style because you are going to get resistance and there is only there's less books for you to work on. But, you know, long term thinking, I think it's a better investment to do your own thing. Um, well, I feel like <clears throat> if nothing else, at least I feel, I feel like we're in a much better environment for sort of having a unique style than than we were you know, five, 10 yeah. years ago, even I think, that, yeah. you know, if you look across, even, even across mainstream books, you're seeing a lot of diversity and a lot of people sort of doing the thing that they do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, I, I'd say for me, I think more at Marvel mm-hmm. and it, especially the, uh, the top 10 or 20 DCU books, I feel like they look, the styles are more interchangeable. Marvel seems to embrace more of the different flavors of art. But I could be wrong. Well, no, I'd, I'd say that in the past, I want to give it three or four years uh, at Marvel, you've seen you've seen a, a different kind of, and I'm not an artist, so I, I, you know, but I've seen, I guess, sort of a heavier brushy style. You start to see guys like, you know, like Declan Shalvey, and you see, you know, Gabe Hardman, and you see, uh, um, like, Mitch Breitweiser, like, like a whole, you know, a definite departure from what we'd seen before them, you know, which yeah. was sort of that, that post-image kind of thing, where at the same time, DC, with some notable exceptions, there's definitely a couple of things going on uh, that, that don't fit in this, but um, there's a lot of that. There, there's yeah. a house style. There's a, a lot of dudes from South America who <laughs> I don't know exactly. but I know. I think these guys are going out of trees or something. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I want to go back, actually, just a little bit. Now, you are, you're, you're from New England. I'm from New England. It's a thing. And, and one of the things <laughs> when I was growing up is that this is not the most productive area for a creative person to have grown up with it's very working class it's very you know people do things they get stuff done where did you get it in your mind to be an artist uh, have a creative you know career was was that a thing that that you'd, you'd always known was around or did you have to discover it later um i from a young age had really supportive parents uh, for all the uh, screwing up they did they did actually support my art uh and um you know, told me that I was talented from a young age. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it was enough of motivation for me to keep plugging away. Um, you know, and then you know, you realize that um, the cartoons you watch, things you read, comics, people get those jobs, get paid to do them. So you can do it too. But where to go? You know, there ain't a whole lot happening in New Hampshire. <laughs> um, but I will say, uh, New Hampshire did produce the Segway <laughs> and um, Ninja Turtles. I think. Uh, Kevin Eastman is from Portland, I think. In oh, all right. So, so we have him because I have a drawing that he did for somebody who knew me when he was at when at a wedding that they okay. gave. They were like, "Oh, this guy was here." I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> that's a, so that's, just just the segue is yeah. all we have in Hampshire, pretty much. And, and Alan Shepard. So let's let's shoot forward a little bit. Um, you know, and they, I guess the first place that I. I sort of came to know you, and I, I guess a lot of fans probably just sort of as a as a whole oh, look at this look at this style look at this thing that's going on is on on Joe the Barbarian, um, you know they came to you with uh, and they did I mean were you were you the first choice for like a, a Grant Morrison book or or uh, did you have to pitch for that one or anything like that? No, uh, after I um, w- didn't get the Greendale book, I was just kind of spinning my tires. And Karen Berger, to her credit, she, I think she knew she wanted to keep me around. Mm-hmm. I was getting offers from Marvel at the time, um, and it was 
time to decide and then I was offered an exclusive contract by DC and then Marvel countered and it was this sort of thing that happened uh, I couldn't have predicted especially since I didn't really have any books or I wasn't a name or anything like that it just became like this kind of weird bidding war and um, Vertigo pitched uh, their contract included more money and a Grant Morrison book and a Brian Wood book and Marvel said well we're Marvel <laughs> so I was like well <laughs> that's, that's their whole thing yeah, and they actually said that on the phone. I'm like, wow, that must actually work with people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I signed on with DC, and then it turned out that neither books were ready. They just said it, I guess. Uh, so they put me on this um, Hellblazer thing that was just two issues, which issue 245 and 246. Who wrote those? Um, Jason Aaron. Oh, okay. Oh, yep. I remember that. Yeah. Sorry, um, I remember. <laughs> that no, sounds, it's okay, that man. sounds horrible to me, but no, because uh, he was, you know, it was like a big deal that uh, he wasn't. The, he just did two issues. Yeah, those were good issues. Yeah, I, I think he had just signed exclusivity with Marvel mm-hmm. outside of Scout. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, a really great script to work from. I didn't have any contact with him, but um, it was really easy to translate and you know put, put on paper. So I just I remember the thing about uh, that was that he didn't try to fake being British which is yeah. what a lot of uh, Americans try to do and they hardly ever pull it off. And, and I think that, I, I don't remember what the thing was, but it was, it was, oh, it was like a dream. I forget. But it wasn't a fake British with like a bunch of, hey, mate, it would just yeah. work. Which was no, I think the only Brit in there was Constantine. Mm-hmm. And if, but it followed an American film crew yeah. in England looking for some monster. Uh, right. So it was a clever way to get around doing the British research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or just the the impersonation that would that we we are rarely very good at. I yeah. guess. Yeah, I hear you. Cool. Um so uh I mean, you know it's interesting because you really I don't want to say you have a vertigo style, but you fit there and obviously, you know, Karen Berger, the sort of godmother of vertigo, you know, <laughs> saw that coming. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the next answer, Okay. Sorry. To answer your question about uh working with Grant, I think she Finally, he, the script that I was supposed to do with him didn't work out, so he had this other one laying around called Joe the Barbarian. Karen pitched it, my stuff. He said, looks fine to me, and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. What's it like to, to work on a, on, a, on a Grant Morrison script? I mean, does it just sort of look I – mean, does it look like all the other scripts that, that you get, the sort of standard stuff? Because, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got a reputation for, you know, being a big thinker for, you know, yeah. all that stuff. You know, when, when you get a script from him, is it just – is there a lot there on the page, or are you left to uh, fill in some of the some of the stuff in the middle? Um, well, the, it was harder for me because he's a really surreal thinker, and I'm very much like meat and potatoes linear thinker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I gravitate more more towards like a Scott Snyder style of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other trick with Grant was I would get like the middle of the script first, and I would design these characters that I thought were going to be in the book longer and then they would die because I would get the end and then I would get the beginning and then there was no dialogue um, for most of the stuff um, I got the scripts and every character's all, all they would say is dot 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 mm-hmm. which I guess means I'll fill this in later and uh, I don't know if that's more of a Marvel style or what but I've, I've never seen it and uh, it made it tricky so when I decided to just start throwing my own stuff in filling it out I was like well it's his fault I don't even have the beginning I'm just, I'm just gonna you know put this book on acid and see what happens you know now, and on the other side of that though i mean the book came out and uh it was instantly one of those things that people started to talk about and start to notice i mean you'd had books come out before that but you know not to a ton of fanfare did you were you able to sort of instantly see oh this is this is hitting it's a different kind oh, of people yeah. noticing it yeah well when they talked about 
Grant and Penny pairing me up with him, I was thrilled. I had never read anything he'd done, um, but I knew he was big time, and I sort of had an idea of what the press would, what, what the publicity would be like. Um, yeah, you know, honestly, it was a wild ride, and um, suddenly I was kind of thrust into the forefront, I guess, and I, I honestly didn't know how to handle myself. Um, it's sort of this culture and comics of this sort of weird comic celebrity <laughs> I don't really understand sometimes. Um, and, uh, you know, with podcasts and interviews and conventions and Twitter, it's just, I, I kind of freaked out and I turned a lot of like podcasts down because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to handle myself. I just, just wanted to be left alone to do work. So uh, it's only till now that I finally developed like a familiarity with this stuff. I'm able to sort of reasonably, um, you know, talk with some confidence and stuff, you know. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you, you, we were talking about the fact you're aware of the economics and everything and stuff like that. And you got away without doing any of that for a really long time. So sort of I know that you're here talking to me right now, but, you know, like <laughs> I, how important do you think that that is to sort of an artist today? The economics? You mean the money no, I mean, like the that? sort of the being a personality that goes along with the work. I think for some people, you know, it, it adds to their mystique. And but but, yeah, yeah. you you know, you got along OK without doing it for a while. Um, yeah, and it's fun. I mean, okay, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was in Portugal last year, and this guy who was sponsoring us um, was like, "Oh, you need to take a picture of yourself and put it in the back and make it black and white." So, well, that's kind of like this emo indie rocker vibe. I mean, don't you sort of resent when artists do that? And we all do it. Yeah. He's like, "Well, people expect that because you guys are like rock stars." Uh, I said, "Maybe really low-level rock stars." Yeah. But um. I don't know, man. Honestly, some of the, I still don't know how to handle this, uh, what to make of some of this stuff. I mean, you go to cons and some of the, the, the drama that unfolds. I mean, it's like, take 500 guys who spend eight hours a day in solitary confinement or underpaid. Uh, bring them to a show. Fly them three time zones to California. Sit them down at a table. Make them draw Spider-Man 800 times in eight hours. And don't let them take a piss. Uh, give some of them personality disorders. Send them straight to the bar, get them hammered, and then watch what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a very good, very, very good description of what happens at a lot. And I think the fans don't get that. I no, think, well, I think... not to deprovincialize it, mm-hmm. but yeah, actually to deprovincialize it, it is pretty funny. And uh, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I'm, I'm just as insecure and paranoid about this stuff. I just, I have no problem talking about it. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you've, got this, you've got this group of people who are, you know, there's there's a lot of introverts you know yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of folks that they they feel awkward socially which uh, you know who doesn't but you know some people more than others and and people just expect you know if you're really good at drawing and showing up at these things then it must be that you can handle huge lines of people at shows who want to talk to you over and over again and uh yeah. you know and then then to take the other side of it is give people an audience on twitter where they can talk all day yeah yeah uh, honestly yeah, I mean, I'm, sometimes I'm in shows and I'm, I'm wearing, I have a, t- a tattoo, uh, you know, I have, you know, a wallet chain, a punk rock sweatshirt, and I'm like, what a fucking asshole I am. I mean, look at, I look like everybody else here. Like, I'm such a douchebag. If someone please call me on my bullshit. <laughs> and that's just my, how I feel about it sometimes. <laughs> see, you're totally aware of yourself because you just described everything you're wearing and the things I, that you're thinking <laughs> that people see when they look at you. <laughs> well, again, we're, we're not, we don't have the video on. I'm actually naked right now. I'm trying to make you think that I'm wearing that stuff. <laughs> now I'm creeped out. I don't know if, don't know if I can go on. Um, so uh, there were some delays in the middle of Joe the Barbarian, and you ended up doing uh, doing another Hellblazer story, uh, City of Demons. That's right, right? Actually, the City of Demons was done, finished before Joe started. Ah, 
Ah, well, yeah. that was who was. Uh, remind me who the writer was on that. It was was it Simon Oliver? That was Cy Cy Spencer. Oh, okay, right, because I didn't know that that writer. Um, but I see. I've been reading a like. I, Hellblazer is actually the only series that I have been reading continuously. It is, uh, or it isn't. It is. It's the only it series. Like you know, people drop off all sorts of stuff. Hellblazer is the only book that I've been reading continuously continuously since about 1999 when I sort of started reading books again. Oh, so uh, good for you. Yeah. yeah. What's well, it? It's it. I don't know. For whatever reason, it, it's one of those books that doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't seem to stagnate like the other ones, even though they tend to do the same thing over and over again. It's John tricks a demon. It's whatever. But I'm always like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and for me, like that was a that was a super fun book, and you know, like I, I'm sure that when you hear people talk about your work, they're going to say things like, "Oh, it's it's dark," or it's you know, is that is that the you know is that how you think of your work? Is that the kind of stuff you like? Yeah, you know, if I had to describe it, I'd say I'd, I draw like dark cartoons. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I use little dots for eyes. Sometimes I'll photo ref, and something will look really photorealistic. Um, I mean, I try to keep a wide um, range of different styles within the work. That way, you know, sometimes you're looking at a cartoon, sometimes it's a strip, sometimes it's an illustration, sometimes it's this or that, whatever, you know. Um, you know, the reason I like to use a lot of black is just, I'm just addicted, fascinated by, by inking and what black does and how it fools your brain into thinking there's stuff there. And I'm just, I just love it. Um, I probably end up putting too much of it down sometimes, especially on scenes where there isn't supposed to be black. I have a tendency to go overboard. Um, so you like, I mean, like you like that style. That's the kind of thing you'd, you'd like to do. I'm curious, like, like what kind of stories do you like? Do you, do you read, you know, do you read a lot of comics? And if not, like what are, you know, what are the kind of stories that you're into the kind of stuff that you like to do? Yeah. Uh, well, American vampire was really up my alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the basic adventure, Indiana Jones story. Good to go for that one. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Hellblazer. I didn't know anything about it. Oh, really? But, um, yeah, I mean, an issue in, I mean, there was that scene in every issue where it was just blood or violence or whatever it was that was it was really very violent <laughs> yeah i would find that page and i would do that page last because it would bum me out uh-huh <laughs> so that was a trick to doing uh constantine for me anyway i didn't know if you were going to say last or first oh god oh i love to do that first gets me going oh, for the whole thing god. no no but, like i'm rendering the hell out of like a, a in uh a jason aaron story somebody was raping a dead dog and i <laughs> took photo references of my own dog and i'm just like oh that's Sorry. Sorry, buddy. Click, click. I'm trying to draw like a well-rendered dead dog raping, and I realized like no matter how well I render this, it's this page is never going to sell. And if somebody ever buys this page, I don't want to meet them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's your dog. I wouldn't use my own dog. That's I know. What can I say? I'm a stickler for detail. I'm never going to be able to read that again. I'm going to dig that out and see if I can find the picture of your dog. Yeah, it's horrible. So I guess the next thing uh, in, in the sequence would be um, American Vampire with Scott Snyder, um, which I was really excited about when it started because, uh, A, I like Scott's work a lot, and uh, t- you know, and I'm a World War II, I'm not going to say fan, because uh, that's, that's just not right. Uh, but I, I was very excited about, about the setting in, in which it was placed in. Now, I remember talking to Scott about this you know, back then. He was, he was super excited to have you on. How did it, how did it come about? How, uh, how did it come about? Uh, they asked me um, to do it, and I said I'd love to, but after I finished Joe, I, I plan on doing Punk Rock Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, they're like, oh, well, you should do this first. And I said, well, i I, I got to do my book. And then they threw other offers at me, you know, bigger books with Scott. 
And I said, like, listen, I, I need to do my book. I'm sorry. You know, so the only way that they, uh, that Karen would get me on was to agree to do punk rock Jesus. Mm-hmm. So she said, okay, we'll do your weirdo book, but you need to do American vampire first. So I said, no problem. Um, you know, the, uh, I'm a big fan of Albuquerque stuff. I really love Scott's uh, writing and I'm not just saying that cause I have to, but like, I really do love his writing. So, um, for me it was a no brainer. So sign on, do vampire. And I uh, had, had a great time. And I love the settings. I love, I'm a big fan of World War II. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, because you, you were talking about working with, with Grant Morrison as having one kind of sort of uh, writing style and Scott as having another. Um, what is it about, you know, sort of Scott's writing that, that you know, clicked for you? Well, uh, his writing uh, was on time. And it was complete, as in the beginning, middle, end was all there. It was finished. All the dialogue was there. And he had... Uh, jpegs and pictures to click on like hey you have this guy driving this tank and here's the tank so scott went all out i mean if that book was not good it would not be his fault it would be my fault because he made it so goddamn easy so um that kind of um personal attention and that kind of um seriousness was really what what attracted me to him even more you know he's he's as enthusiastic a person as i know uh, working in comics and and it hasn't slowed down as his name's gotten bigger. I've noticed. I know, man. I don't. I think he's gonna explode one day. He's just he's excited all the time. It's, it's he's gonna enthusiastically rupture. I know. I, too much. I, um. Well, uh, is are you the kind? Do you like? I mean, do you like getting scripts that sort of spell everything out? Uh. Or or do you like to you know like how much sort of direction do you like to take or how much. How much do you like be left open? Do you do you like to uh, make sure you have you have the control of the layout of it, or do you do you want you know stuff for that? Yeah, I mean, with, it, with anything I've ever done, you know, if they say five panels, I'll add six. You know, if they have a, a shot that's specific, I'll just be like, screw it, I'm doing, I'll do it my way. Just to be and, a shit, uh, or no? I mean, I, I just well, I mean, I didn't know that I was wasn't supposed to do that at times. I didn't know that things were that particular with certain writers. I've right. been lucky enough to have writers who. We're fine with it, so um, I've been. I definitely was lucky that way. Um, but uh, I got to a point with with Scott where I was adding so much action in the background when it came to issue five, which was basically a chase scene. He's like, "Well, here's what's going to happen in the issue. Why don't you lay it out, and I'll just add dialogue after." And we kind of talked about this scene, or uh, there was a motorcycle scene, which I was I really wanted to do. Um, so we talked like, oh, it would be cool if he like escaped down the side of the mountain. And I said, well, what if they use that laser gun to like melt the snow? So sort of there's some science to it, like, you know, mm-hmm. even though lasers like that don't exist. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we did enough planning and we came to an understanding. So then, um, you know, I was just good to go. I just did a moment-to-moment storytelling, which you don't really get to do too much in comics. No, I was uh, – um, how much of it did, did you get for that? I mean, was it was it sort of – panned out by the page or was it just an overall plot sort of old old marvel style um i don't remember mm-hmm. i think maybe there's the certain talking scenes where he did have it out and then when they got on the bike and started driving he just had sort of dialogue like this has to go in within these 10 pages at some point so leave me room and then you know you can have him doing all the crazy stuff you want mm-hmm. um and then there was one page where after the scene was over there was this like um silent shot where they're in this blimp escaping and um scott had this dialogue that was sort of wrapping it up and i said you know man we had all this t- crazy tension and camera angles let's just do like a one-page silent um shot here yeah i know i know i can handle it i, I can tell a story like 
trust me, let me let me try it. If you don't like it, I'll do exactly what you want, no problem. So he was like, fine. The editor said fine, and um, that's how that, that one page got in there, which um, people really responded to. So I'm yeah, happy. no, I absolutely remember that page. So that sounded like that was a really sort of collaborative thing. I mean, was that was that the most sort of you back and forth you'd done with a specific writer on something? Yeah, I mean, he he tailors his writing, from what I understand, to the strengths of each artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he thinks about me, he's like, all right, Sean likes to add storytelling elements and really go for clarity and. He loves like research, so he give me a lot of uh, backgrounds and sort of stuff to, to draw, you know, laboratories and tanks and whatever. Um, and I think maybe when he writes for Albuquerque, he plays more towards like emotional storytelling because Albuquerque's really great at um, like women in, in these damsels in distress and like the you know really great facial expressions. And I think he's got a sort of a different um, take on every artist he works with, and he tries to adapt quick and after three issues of working together he, he got me and i got him and you know we were able to do the last two uh with more of that effort that was like like it was at the end you know yeah. he's been he's been really good about working with guys who were right for him like I, I don't see him with a lot of sort of fill-in artists he's he works with artists who who sort of have a style and have a thing which i think has been really smart um yeah and he it's by choice too he, yeah. he really fights for that stuff and um you know, he helps out on a lot of books where he's not credited. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the Batman universe stuff, he does a lot of work on. Um, and they ask him, do you want to put your name on this because you help plot it, you help this writer, this, that. And he's like, no, I, I only want my name on stuff that I can guarantee I did most of the work, I have the artist I want, the quality I want. You know, he doesn't want to sort of overexpend, over, um, spread himself too thin, basically, you know. Yeah. But he wants his name to be synonymous with quality. Which is, you know, a good thing. I think not that all these other books aren't good quality. He just has his take on quality. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, now one of the one of the specific things that I think of when I think about that miniseries, and I and I know it was it was you know just a few issues, but uh, that 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 had artistically that book had a lot of texture to me. I remember sort of looking at the different clothing that they wore, and then sort of the the castle walls and all that stuff. You know, how, how much how like do you like drawing stuff like that is that stuff that you're thinking about those textures and and the fashions and the just sort of you know how things sort of feel yeah very much i mean i again I'm, i love doing research and i have to stop myself from going too far into research to find out what these things look like um when we were actually laying that story out at the beginning he kind of pitched me this idea and i said let's do it in romania let's use that um that castle uh brands castle b-r-a-n i think it is um, but I want to draw this and give me a guy that looks like Robert Redford. Um, I want to do this with him. And, you know, he kind of managed to squeeze it all in there. So, yeah. In the end, I think it was maybe Germany. I, I don't know exactly where it takes place, but for me, I was imagining Romania. Yeah. Most of us readers don't have a clue, so it's totally <laughs> fine. Um, so, uh, coming out of that, then, the, I mean, the next thing coming up is, is Punk Rock Jesus that was coming. Before we sort of talk about that specifically, um, you know, at this point, you're talking about about writing and drawing something. You know, was that a goal for you all along, uh, other than just being sort of a storyteller on the page? But to to sort of have your own stories is that is that a, a bunch of yeah. you, you've done other stuff? I'm not. Yeah, no, I wrote and drew a book called Off Road with Oni years ago. Um, I did one for a Dark Horse called Outer Orbit, although I didn't get uh, credit on it. I did the last two issues with uh, Zach Howard. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, I, I, I'm really interested in storytelling, and, and my friends in Hollywood um, got me into reading about scripts and script writing and three-act structures and all that stuff. So I went through the Sid Fields and, you know, Save the Cats and all those b- books, and I sort of come from a more, um, you know, movie-style of storytelling. 
And I had found that I had done so much research on how to write that I would get into these conversations with comic book writers and a lot of them wouldn't know about three-act structures or you know, how to balance subplots and how to spin your plates and all these mm-hmm. phrases. Um, and maybe they think of it more as prose than movies, but I got so much into storytelling, I realized it's not much further for me just to write a goddamn script myself, you know? And I had this story I've been kicking around for a while, and, um, you know, I had a religious conversion, and uh, there's some stuff I really wanted to say and get off my chest, and uh, and I came up with this sci-fi story that sort of encapsulated all the stuff that I wanted to say, everything I wanted to draw. Um, and I'll, I'll admit, by no means am I a writer, you know, capital W, um, you know, like Scott Snyder and Arcudi and Recommender, like those guys do it in and out. They 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 know themselves. I, I can I'm kind of like a mechanic. I can ratchet together a script mm-hmm. and then hopefully it'll be like a B minus and then I can draw it into like an A minus and then people will think I'm I'm a writer. Is that the thing that you I mean, you're talking about it, it's 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 one thing to know them. I'm not going to say it's easy because it's not. It's one thing to know the mechanics of a story and to put things together, but then to sort of infuse it with life with personality with those kinds of things is that the sort of thing that you're that you're concerned about that you're you know sort of working on when you're when you're writing stuff when you're putting it together well yeah i mean um I, most of the life in writing i find in comics comes through you know i'm biased because i'm an artist but i would say it comes through with the art mm-hmm. like i've seen i've had some scripts where i wasn't thrilled with the dialogue i didn't understand the plot and the story and um my concerns were not the readers' concerns, like whatever plot holes I found, they they did not care. They were just into the art, and that's all that mattered. So I realized how kind of forgiving the medium was. Um, if I took away the art and just had to write prose, I mean, you know, I wouldn't go toe to toe with any of these guys. They'd kick my ass, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess I use drawing as a crutch in a way, but um, I think I got off track uh, in answering your question. No, there. no, no, <laughs> you, you didn't. Uh, w- <laughs> So um, now, if you're if you're writing for yourself, how do you how do you approach it? Do you uh, do you script yourself first, or do you sort of go loosely and then and then go from there? Yeah, I did um, six versions of Punk Rock Jesus written as prose, basically. Wow. I sent it to Karen, and she's like, "Well, you do Joe the Barbarian. So look at how Grant lays it out, and try to you know fit, fit that format." And she was right. I was silly to send her prose <laughs> script. I mean. She asked to see it, so I gave her what I had. But um, I've since translated into more of a comic book style script. I guess the DC style, you call it, you know, six panels, dialogue, everything described out. And I'm pretty sparse with details. Like, I, scripts are pretty dull to read, I think. So I heard a story once about Garth Ennis, the way he wrote Judge Dredd. Um, most of his panel descriptions were just Dread on bike, and he would just leave it up to his artists. So I try to do the Dread on bike thing with my writing and you know mm-hmm. castle exterior blah 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 you know i don't need to go into the nuances of it because i know what it's going to look like because i'm going to draw it so when I, I it took me like two days to translate my script into a 32 page issue um now i wouldn't say oh 32 page issue two days i'm the fastest writer ever well i'm writing for myself i don't need to be too particular with the details i had most of it written the ideas were already there um but yeah, it's pretty full script that Karen can read and dissect and you know tinker with, and um, yeah, she's actually been really handy uh, with this whole process. Uh, you know, at first the first issue was rough; it was the you know inter- introduction, so a lot of you know checking the uh, crossing the eyes and dotting the t's and whatnot. But um, it's become more uh, smooth now that I know what she's looking for. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I found that this book is definitely teaching me a lot about uh, the craft. You know, she's a heck of a resource to have for sort of a, 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 a one of your first big sort of script projects. I know, I know. If you think I about know. what she's been involved with, I don't know. I think that would that would freeze me. Yeah, on yeah. Its own. You know, and, and the thing she's editing me, and it's not one of her fairy books with magic in it. <laughs> so I was curious, like, I don't, I don't think Karen really likes this book. I think this is a gift to keep me around and I'm fine with that. <laughs> but uh, as we've gotten into the process, I mean, her attention to detail is amazing. And uh, she's really helped me pump up like the female characters. And, and uh, I think she's taken particular interest in the script. At least I hope so. And uh, if she's not, she's fooling me doing a good job of being a salesman. <laughs> so, so speaking of, I guess, I guess now's your chance to uh, tell me, tell me what the book is. How would you describe it? What's the, what's the pitch for the book? Pitch is um, in the slight future, a corporation buys the rights to the Shroud of Turin, which supposedly has the blood of Jesus Christ on it. They extract DNA. They make the first human clone in history. They do it in international waters where. You can do chicken fights, I guess. Uh, and they turn it into a reality show. And um, it turns into a Truman Show type phenomenon where this kid is on his own private island. You know, huge security risk, of course. Uh, you know, when this stuff happens, Al-Qaeda is gunning for it. And, you know, there's big security problems. Basically, they have him stored on Jurassic Park. Um, and eventually, after 14 years of this, the kid decides he's had enough. He doesn't want to be a celebrity. And uh, he escapes decides he's an atheist, hits the street, and starts a punk band to uh, revolt and fight, fight the man, fight the power with a, and it's kind of a media war with his, with his band. And the whole thing is told through the eyes of his bodyguard, who's an ex-IRA Catholic, who actually believes this kid is the second coming. Now you said that, that you know, you'd been through some stuff, and I know that, I know, I know that a dude named Sean Gordon Murphy from New Hampshire, that's got to be as Irish Catholic as it gets. Yeah. How I does mean, that work into it? Well, I mean, yeah, I grew up, you know, in New England and um, actually met a guy who claimed to be um, IRA when I was working uh, at Macy's in Salem selling suits. And uh, he might have just been putting me on, but he was some kind of fundraiser and, oh, you're Irish, you should go over there and get a taste for the cause and you can help us out, blah, blah, blah. And at the time, I thought it was just the Irish mob or my mafia or whatever. Um, you know, and since then, I sort of took an interest in what it was, and you know, and I actually went to Belfast twice to do some research and um, you know look through the ghettos and sort of figure out what the backgrounds would be and, and really get up get the flavor on the street. And um, actually, bumped into a guy who offered to introduce me to some people in Dublin who could help me out, um, but uh, I declined, saying uh, I don't. I'm not sure I want like a an armed Catholic to know I'm doing a book where Jesus is an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep this. I'm going to keep this, uh, this on the low key. Thank you very much. <laughs> don't, don't tell them I'm doing this book, but thanks for the help. It seems like, uh, you've got a lot of, a lot of big thing, big themes and, and sort of big ideas to be mixing up, uh, you know, while also at the same time trying to tell a, you know, compelling story and, and you know, a, a human thing is that was that one of the big challenges is to sort of make sure that you're giving everything they're due, but then, you know, also sort of balancing that. Yeah. You know, I wanted to fairly represent my views on politics and religion and science and kind of where we're headed as a species, mm -hmm. but not to abandon people and beat them over the head. Um, you know, I said before, if Christian readers, Christian Sean Murphy fans, just totally hate this book and 
hate me because of it. I've failed. Like, I do not want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to sort of tread the line carefully of, uh, I would be provocative, but not too much. When you get, I want there to be more nutritional value in this book than, uh, you know, most other comics. But I also want it to be a lot of fun, a lot of action, a lot of Blade Runner type, type stuff going on. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's definitely a challenge sort of, uh, hitting those, those three topics and six issues, you know? Well, it's interesting that you're working with, you know, with Karen Berger on it, because when I think of a story, you know, it's, it's it's hard to not think of Preacher in that sort of same sense. And it's really easy to look at Preacher and say, this is a book that, that is um, anti-religious, except it's not, I don't think mm-hmm. it, in that sense. Like it, it's, it's, it deals with religion, but it's not really anti anything. It's exploring a lot of ideas for different things. I mean, is we, I don't even know if you're familiar with the story or anything like that, but we're, you know, was yeah, yeah. those the kind of things you were thinking of? Yeah, you know, I, I read Preacher last year, and it's become one of my favorite books for sure. It's um, Preacher is, I mean, not to Preacher is probably my favorite comic series ever. I just because it did so many things at the same time. And you're not wrong, man. I mean, you go look at some of the lines in Preacher. I mean, this isn't just writing of a comic book artist yeah. or writer. This is like writing, writing. Like some of the stuff they say, it's just like, wow, I got to sit down. That was beautiful. Um, in fact, this. Uh, it's unclear to me whether or not DC wanted to do Punk Rock Jesus. Uh, at first, um, under the old regime, they said we would never do a story with Jesus in the title. Uh, the stuff's way too controversial. And I said, well, what about Preacher? I'm like, yeah, but Preacher acknowledged God. They just said, Preacher said that God was uh, a jerk or something like that. You're saying God's not real and Jesus is atheist. And they had some really bizarre reasons for not doing it, but you know, I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the regime change happened, and um, Jim Lee and Didier were there, and they called Karen. They said, "Well, um, you know, we want you guys to do some stuff like you did back in the '90s. What do you what do you have laying around?" And my uh, pitch, which had at the time was not approved, Karen grabbed it and pitched it and said, "This is kind of like the next preacher." So he's like, "Dan was like, great, I love it. Let's do it." And that was it. So uh, if it wasn't that's, for preacher, that's a uh, that's a big pitch to live up to. I uh, do no, yeah. I mean, I if if they push it that way, which they probably will. I mean, marketing wise, why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. That's fine. But I, if I ever met Garth, I'd be like, dude, I'm not a writer. <laughs> Thank you for doing Preacher first, so I could do my book. But no way will I ever, you know, come close to that. You know. So uh, how 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 big of a thing is it? A miniseries or is it? Uh... Yeah, it's a six issue miniseries, but each page. Uh, I'm sorry, each issue is 32 pages black and white um no ads as far as i know uh i think they're going to collect it and do a trade i'm trying to get them to do like a director's cut trade where i can add a lot of a lot of extra pages and sort of expand some ideas i had to cut out but we'll see when you're doing something like that uh on your own uh how much editing is done i mean was most of the most of it sorted out in the script stage or or you know stuff get drawn that gets thrown out and then other stuff that gets put in uh, both. I mean, okay. we try to catch as much as possible for art, for the artwork. Um, actually, the last couple of days, I've been um, redrawing new pages. Uh, a couple of the pacing things Karen didn't like. Uh, I had a tendency to go into the science stuff too much, so she wanted to cut out some of that the, that, that talk. So, um, yeah, you know, I've never actually had to redo pages for DC before until my own book, but uh, she made good points, you know, and I'm not going to turn down a bad idea when I hear one, so mm-hmm. I'm happy to redo it. Mm-hmm. So uh, at, the, at the end of, are you, are, is it mostly finished? Is it drawn? Is it is it ready to go? No, it's, uh, I finished um, 
three issues. So I was halfway done. Um, I should be finished by the end of the summer. And I think the first issue hits in July. So every month after that until six months go by. December? Sure. <laughs> At the end of it, do you, will, will, will you feel like you want to do another project like that? Or do you just want to go to draw somebody's script for a little while? Man, I, this is a bad time to ask just because <laughs> I'm realizing like, wow, this is a lot of work. Like I'm getting half my rate mm-hmm. for doing twice as much work. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, who else is going to pay me that when I'm getting to do my own book? Mm-hmm. You know, especially in an industry that is sort of, uh, you know, as it is right now. Um, part of me is like, you know what? This is the last time I'm ever going to write. Uh, I called up Scott and I said, dude, let's do something. Just write me something after. I just want to shut my brain off. I don't want to have to write ever again. So who knows? Right now, I think I just need to do a big money-making, big, big hit seller. Um, the thing that I realized that I, I ha- what I have is I seem to have good reviews from especially you guys. Um, you know, respect for what you would call a, kind of a different style. Um, and I'm working with writers I really like, and I have some leverage with what I can do, and I'm definitely in control of my career. But the final piece that I don't have is just flat-out sales. Mm-hmm. Um, like the thing that if you want to do a Greg Capullo book or anything, swap thing, whatever – you need to bring at least 50,000 people with your name. I mean, there's a whole other side of the politics that most people don't think about when you're at that level. And the thing I don't have is just flat-out sales. So I'd like to, uh, for after this after this uh, punk rock, to get something that just fucking sells, you know? Do you, I mean, not that you're going to tell me, I don't want you to, but like, do you know what it is? Do you have an idea? Like, are Yeah, you, Snyder I and I have a, have a pitch in um, Vertigo's restructuring. Uh, in a good way. Not too many people know what's happening. Um, you know, there's rumors of stuff happening in, in Hollywood and trying to design like a better machine to translate Vertigo stuff. But don't quote me on that. I don't know the truth. Anyway, once that's sorted out in the next month or so, um, hopefully we'll start talking about Scott and I doing our next Maxi series for Vertigo. He's, uh, he's, he's, not, a, he's not a bad guy to be hooked up with. Right? No, I mean, I'm riding his coattails. Yeah. That's how, <laughs> that's, that's how things work. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> um, one of the things that I actually wanted to remember to sort of talk to you a little bit about was uh, you did a post uh, at one point a little while back, and you were you were talking about the the industry in a way that that a lot of people uh, don't. It's it's funny because it's one of those things where uh, I know that pros talk to each other about yeah. um, a lot of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, the way that payments work and things like that. But you 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 were talking about uh, inkers and yeah. how. Uh, there ain't going to be none uh, eventually. And I was, I was just curious, can, you know, if you can sort of tell me a little bit about what you're thinking in, in those terms. And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I am an art snob, I admit. I love pencils, inks, all on the same page. But um, speaking pragmatically, it's just when you have um, – when you spend an extra 200, 250 bucks on inks for a book um, and you're looking to cut costs – and the files in the end, whether it's traditional art or not, they're digital. Mm-hmm. All uploaded. It doesn't, it's colored digitally. So as I was scanning in my stuff, my inks and whatnot, I'm thinking, like, how much longer are they going to go along with paying for inks? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially well, if you said stuff. something about it that, that I hadn't really thought of. The inking is, is really a function of the printing process as it used to be. And now, right. now it's almost just nostalgic. It is. Yeah, it's come along. Like, comic books has sort of we we've claimed feathering cross hatching and sort of these uh style techniques in a way mm-hmm. um and those you're right it is nostalgic i think and um 
now with scanners, I mean, the minute a scanner was produced in the early 90s, you basically didn't need inkers anymore. And now we've just basically started to see it, especially with Cintiqs and all that stuff going around, uh, drop out more and more. And it's something that I worry. And, you know, my friend Tim Townsend, who's an inker, yeah. of course, uh, we, we think about what the future will be. And uh, we're hoping that, you know, the high-profile inkers have wedged themselves in enough where, okay, if you're doing this Avengers book and you're working with this guy, he wants this inker. It has to be done. But if you're on like lower tier books and they're looking to cut on costs and they're going to hire a guy who can do pencils and pay him, you know, just for that. I mean, why wouldn't they do it? I'd do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, I didn't care about art, I only cared about sales and putting books out. I'd absolutely do it. You know, the artist in me doesn't want it to happen, but it is what it is. You know. Mm-hmm. Now you're now you, you sort of alluded to it, and I've actually I've heard this about you that you're you're all about the brush. Or at least actual ink. Uh, yeah. You're not. You're maybe one of the only guys not doing any digital. So. Oh, I hope that's not true. I mean, you know. More I, than I know. I, I know you're not. I know there are people who aren't. But uh, uh, it's it's kind of staggering how many people have have moved along to it. Uh, you know, a lot of times not because of you know the artistic things it affords, but just the you know they're able to work faster or easier, things like that. Yeah. I mean, you. How many people? How many comics do you think are drawn? Or inked digitally. I have no idea. You like you know more about this stuff than I do. Like I know people? that I know that maybe five years ago, the idea of a comic book that was completely digital was uh, was rare. I remember um, Freddie Williams the uh, second was doing it on. He was working on Robin a long time ago, and I we interviewed him at a show, and, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I do these all digital." And I and I had I hadn't even hadn't occurred to me that that was mm-hmm. a thing. And I think. God, in the last two years, the Cintiq has really taken off, and you've seen a lot of guys who, you know, were doing it traditionally, and just, you know, have have had to switch over, or, or have decided to because you know once they started doing it, uh, yeah. a a, you know, most fans, most readers can't tell the difference. They, it doesn't, right. you know, yeah. make a difference. Uh, there is a, you know, there's a quality. There's a, a I will use the word brushy because that's what I've heard. I remember Mitch Price, what Brightweiser said that to me the first time. You know, where you can sort of see that the 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 fibers of the brush on the page, and it, you know, and it makes you know it makes the picture. But when you look mm-hmm. at it close, you know, you can see clearly it's just a glob of ink, you know, with that sort yeah. of fiber through it. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like that, but I, you know, I understand the other side of it too. I mean, um, the, the way Tommy Lee Edwards, I was in a studio and he was showing yeah. me his designs, his brushes on the Cintiq, and he does it traditionally as well. But when he needs to go fast. He'll use this antique, and you can't tell. I mean, my old argument of like, oh, you can always tell, that's done. It, 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 absolutely, it's faster. It's easier to make changes once you have editorial ask for them. Um, I mean, by and large, it makes total, complete sense. The only argument I have left is uh, art sales, sales of original art. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I pull in like 15 a year on that stuff. And uh, I've heard that Darwin Cook brings in like a third of his income <laughs> on that stuff i mean um i have a darwin page behind me right now <laughs> awesome man it's real it's not an antique. <laughs> no but i'll tell you he's pretty minimalistic with it yeah and i remember he and he told me he we interviewed him once and he was talking about we were talking about deadlines and, and he was you know he was he was being darwin and he was saying you know wow none of these other guys can finish stuff on time me i got a system you know and and he draws in such a way that it's not it's not entirely you know fully you know rendered in every possible way but it is darwin so it's clean and it's beautiful and everything that needs to be there is there um and i do you know part of me thinks that 
be a horrible shame to lose that to a digital file. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know I, I told this story to my students once. I was teaching at um, SCAD Atlanta. Someone once told me that no one cares about originals, and I got really pissed off. Um, back in World War II, if we have time for like a quick five minute thing here, sure, sure. Um, we the Allies were fighting uh, the bad guys up through uh, Africa into Sicily, and we're making our way up uh, the boot of Italy. And uh, a lot of the, our guys were just destroying churches and art, and just showed no respect, whatever. And the locals were pissed off, and they made complaints. And I think Eisenhower or somebody said. Listen, no more destroying art. If you can help it, try not to bomb these churches. These, we really need these locals to be on our side, you know? So, you know, those orders were followed to the best of our ability. And uh, we eventually fought the Nazis up through Florence. And they're in Florence, and they're just housed in the train station. And right around the train station are like 10 museums with art. All the art was there, Renaissance art, irreplaceable art, Right. So what we did, because we didn't want to destroy all that stuff, because we value originals, is uh, we brought in a bombing squad of the best 18-year-olds we had. And we mm-hmm. said, listen, you know, you guys are not allowed to bomb anything other than the train tracks. If you fucking miss, these locals are going to be pissed at us. Like, we need to hit our target big time. And they put these guys uh, at risk to do these bombing missions, and um, they pulled it off. Not a single bomb went astray. And we nailed the uh, railroad stations, cutting off supply lines, and all the museums were fine. So when people tell me we don't care about art, I'm just like, dude, go, go fuck yourself. Of course we care about art. Uh, you know, whether or not we're in an industry that can support uh, the, the feels that way in the age of the antique, I don't know, man. I mean, honestly, if you do that stuff, that's great, but you'll never be in a museum. You're never going to have a gallery open. You're never going to sell anything. And there's something about the handcraftedness of art that we do we do respect. You know, whether people acknowledge it or not, we always pay more for something that's handcrafted. Mm-hmm. So that's you're saying thing. is you're not going to have a Cintiq anytime soon? <laughs> Maybe I will use it to... No, I will not have a Cintiq. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're technically an ep, you told me, so that, <laughs> that helps. That's on your side. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you one more thing that has nothing to do with comics. All right. Uh, so every time that I've seen on your DeviantArt page... There's a little bit that says what you're watching or what you're doing. And yours always says Top Gear. Yeah, I haven't changed it for a while. <laughs> oh, I, was, I just thought, this guy's always watching Top Gear. No, I um, I love the Top Gear UK. Uh, I love cars. I love drawing them. And, uh, yeah, it's a waste of resources, some of those supercars. But, uh, goddamn, those guys are funny. And uh, I need, I do need to get around to fixing that uh, that stuff. <laughs> uh, no, I, I feel the same way. I went through a thing where, like the first year that after my son was born, every night when he was up, I would just watch Top Gear on Netflix. So Yeah, there's that one where they're in Bolivia, and they're having this crazy Bolivian adventure. Have you seen that one? I, yeah, I've, I've seen them all. Oh, man, love it. Even my wife, we watched the one in Vietnam, and now she wants to go to Vietnam because of, because of Top Gear, and she hates cars. I, I just know. I, I feel the same way. And I, I don't know, and I know that, I know that in the U.K., uh, uh, Jeremy Clarkson is the most horrible person ever, um, <laughs> but he's very funny. Yeah, you have to give it to him for the for the, the wittiness of everything. And he is uh, funny. I mean, green activists, environmentalist groups come down on him hard as they should. He sure, funny, though. Yeah, and I, I I agree with them, but at the same time, I think it's very funny. I can't afford those cards anyway, and uh, I, I think it's funny when they hit each other. Yeah, I agree, and yeah, it makes the American version look just stupid. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather be driving a car in England, I think, than watching the American Top Gear. Did you drive when you were in Ireland? 
Yeah, we ran into, I got a stick, some really tiny car, I forget what it was. Um, a couple times I found myself on the wrong side of the road. I, uh, my wife and I drove around Ireland, uh, I'm going to say 2007, yeah. and I rented a Golf, uh, yeah. and, and it was a stick shift, and, and it was, I did really well with it. I was very surprised, uh, yeah. except for twice. <laughs> there were two specific instances where I nearly killed us, because it was like at a corner, and I just looked the wrong way. Uh, yeah. Anyway. It's tough, man. You shut your brain off for a second, you fall into your old uh, right side of the road habits. People in Ireland drive like maniacs, too. That's, they do. They don't care. It's great. It's great for that. Uh, like I said, completely off topic. And there you have it, a nice long conversation with artist and creator Sean Murphy. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly love it to talk. Um, you can comment on the show at ifanboy.com, and you can also go check out Sean's work uh, in the upcoming Punk Rock Jesus and uh, Hellblazer City Demons, American Vampire, Survival of the Fittest, and Joe the Barbarian uh, from Vertigo, and, and some of that older stuff that he checked. Uh, you can also go to Sean's DeviantArt page, or you can follow him on Twitter. Links for that are going to be on the show page for this one. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Today's my job to keep on rocking